You're listening to Faith Assembly of God Online, a recording of our weekly service. Thanks for joining with us, a place where hope and reality converge. Welcome to uh, our Decent in Order series. We're continuing. Our goal has been to grow in the gifts of the Spirit. If you have your Bibles, 1 Corinthians chapter 11 is where we're going to look today. And uh, we've been, we've been uh, looking at the, uh, this purpose that Paul has written in these verses or these chapters of 1 Corinthians, a letter that's been written to the church in Corinth, but specifically these verses are chapters in 11 to 14 that have to do with the church functioning decently and in order, that God has put an order together and a function that we would be able to, to uh, allow His Spirit to flow. I believe that when we do things properly, the presence of God only flows greater. When we set the course and when we, when we prepare the... 1 Corinthians chapter 11, we read this scripture and uh, it really is Paul starting off as he's talking um, about the church and how they function. Last week we looked at the gifts of the Spirit and the importance of the gifts of the, gifts of the Spirit building the body of Christ. The fruit of the Spirit... Is, is different from the gifts of the Spirit. Now, I want you to understand this. Catch this this morning. That God has given us the, the fruit of the Spirit, which is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. He's given us the fruit of the Spirit. That is birthed in us that we might grow in our walk with Christ, that we would grow in our knowledge of God and grow, or not just grow in our knowledge, but grow in our relationship with Jesus Christ and in our relationship with one another. He's given us the gifts or the fruits of the Spirit that we can grow up in our relationship, but he's given us the gifts of the Spirit so that we might be built up as the body of Christ, that God would build us up in the purpose that he has and what it is that he's calling us to do and to accomplish. And we said last week that it's not a matter of just having the fruit of the Spirit. It's easy to just center on the fruit of the Spirit and ignore the gifts of the Spirit, because let's be honest, the gifts of the Spirit don't always make sense. All right? And if we, if we act or think that we have it all figured out, we don't. But we're saying to God, God help us little by little. He gives us insight, revelation that we grow and we develop so that we can operate in the gifts of the Spirit. Because I truly believe this, that, that God has even more than we've experienced already that he wants to pour out on us. That he wants to cause a flow and cause a work of his Spirit to take place in our lives that we might impact. This morning, if, if you have your Bibles, whether uh, you version on your phone or you have your Bible, would you stand with me as we look in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Now, I'm going to start with verse 17. I've titled this message this morning, Open Heavens, Open Hands. Open Heavens, Open Hands. These two together. Look what it says in verse 17. In the following instructions, Paul is writing, I cannot praise you, for it sounds as if more harm than good is done when you meet together. I mean, no, that's not a good thing. When we get together, more harm is had than good. When we get together, that, that there's, there's more harm that's being done in this work. And Paul says that, uh, first I hear that there are divisions among you when you meet as a church. And to some extent, I believe it. But of course, there must be divisions among you so that you who have God's approval will be recognized. How many know that when we come to make decisions and we agree to do something, that when we make decisions, that we might not always be on the same page in making that decision? How many know what I'm talking about? We are people who have, who have opinions, we have ideas, we have different ways of looking at things, but what we're doing is we're saying, God, help us to identify your way, not our way, but the way that you would have. And Paul's saying here, there's divisions among you, and those divisions are rightly so, they have to exist because someone's going to be right and someone's going to be wrong. 
The problem is when we just leave those who we think are wrong because we're always right. How many hear what I'm saying this morning? Look at your neighbor and say, it's okay to be wrong sometimes. It's okay to be wrong sometimes. Listen, being wrong isn't the problem. Some of you may have taken that way too far. You just took liberties on that. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom, and you just took it. So, Paul is saying there are divisions. And what he means by divisions doesn't mean what it starts out as, as, as great divisions. It means you have differences. That's what the word means. There are divisions, that there are differences. How many know in a group of people there are differences? There are differences in a home. There's differences in marriages. There's differences in every relationship. We have differences. And Paul says that's okay, and rightly so. There should be those differences. But unfortunately, instead of allowing there to be a best decision by working together and honoring God, some of you have just have just left your own to do your own thing, and you've just said, forget everybody else. I'm right. I'm going to do this my way. And this is what's going on here. Paul's saying you've got a problem. Because you're not working together. You're not meeting. You're not compromising. This is all about you, and Paul's addressing that. Now, that's not what our topic is this morning, but Paul's setting this up, and he's saying that there's differences among you. There's divisions that are among you. And Paul says it should be that way, of course, because that's how we know God's approval. And God's approval is as we seek God, it might be moments where we have to say, you know what? Your way's better than my way. Your idea is better than my idea. And that's Okay. Your way of seeing this is right. But how many know we never come to that until we learn how to see and how to work together and how to allow the Spirit to guide us and direct us? Even the gifts of the Spirit, they cause understanding instead of being stuck in our own way of doing things. This is what Paul is addressing from the whole beginning because we said the the issue of Corinth at that time was everybody do what feels good to you. Isn't that what we said two weeks ago as we, as we looked at this? This is what was going on in Corinth. And Paul's addressing this with the church. He's saying there's divisions, rightly so. You've got to work those things out. You've got to come together. You've got to allow God's, God's approval to be recognized, come together. He says, verse 20, when you meet together, you are not really interested in the Lord's Supper. For some of you hurry to eat your own meal without sharing with others. As a result, some go hungry while others get drunk. What? Don't you have your own homes for eating and drinking? Or do you really want to disgrace God's church and shame the poor? What am I supposed to say? Do you want me to praise you? Well, I certainly will not praise you for this. Paul sounds like the dad who is setting down the the, the law and saying, I cannot praise you for this. And a little bit of a word smack saying, you've got to get your act together. You're out of order in this. I can't praise you in this. You're, you're, you're having your fill, but I can't praise you in this matter. And then he sets things in order. He says, verse 23, he says, this is how it's supposed to be done. For I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. On the night when Jesus was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and said, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes. 
So anyone who eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord unworthily is guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. That is why you should examine yourself before eating the bread and drinking the cup. For you, if you eat the bread and drink the cup without honoring the body of Christ, you are eating and drinking God's judgment upon yourself. That is why many of you are weak and sick and some have even died. Uh-oh. That's why some are even weak and in a weakened state and in places that we get to. It's because we're not honoring the body of Christ. We're going to talk about that. He says that we need to honor the body of Christ, that some of us eat and drink, not damnation, but judgment. Some translations say condemnation or damnation. That translation is not proper. It's judgment. Uh, because judgment is altogether different than damnation. There is no hope for damnation. But it's judgment. And when we bring judgment upon ourselves, uh, it becomes a temporary judgment. Uh, co- uh, damnation or condemnation, that is eternal. Uh, there's no hope for that. Uh, but there is hope in judgment. It's a temporary. He says here, finishing this out, He says, but if we would examine ourselves, we would not be judged by God in this way. Yet when we are judged by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be condemned along with the world. So my dear brothers and sisters, when you gather for the Lord's supper, wait for each other. If you are really hungry, eat at home so you won't bring judgment upon yourselves when you meet together. I'll give you instructions about the other matters after I arrive. Wait for one another. This morning, as I said, I want to share this message, open heavens and open hands. Father, I pray that you would, you would open our hearts today. God, that we would receive what it is that your spirit is speaking. And Lord, what it is that you desire to do in our midst. Father, I pray that we would be a church that would be active and moving in the gifts of the spirit. Father, help us to, help us to grow in them. Help us to, to receive them. But Lord, not only to receive, God, help us to flow. I pray today that you would help us to live under an open heaven. And God, that we would also live with open hands. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Before you're seated, look at your neighbor this morning. Tell them, be open for something new. Be open for something new. (laughs) It's not the same old. There's something new. Do you still believe that we serve a God who does new things? A God whose creation and creative abilities have not been maxed. The God, a God who we don't look at and say, well, he's done all there, can be done, all there is to be done. He's done everything. There's nothing else that he could do. A God who is still able to do greater and to do more. A couple of weeks ago, Jody and I were out to dinner with, some, uh, with, with a couple in the church. And it's always nice when you have a moment just to sit down. And it happened to be with a couple that uh, uh, their daughter was in our youth group back in the day. And, and so we see each other in church. You know how that is. You see each other in church, but you often don't get a chance to connect. And so we had that opportunity to connect over dinner. And we caught up of, of how family is doing, what's going on, and things that are taking place. And as every conversation that we tend to be involved in, it always moves to spiritual things. And I don't mind that. That's just, that, that's a, a nature. I, I don't, I don't uh, apologize for that. I love to talk about the things of the Lord. And so we shared a good meal. We had conversation. 
question, and then it came to this point, and, and the wife asked the question. She said, Jason, why is it that it feels like in history and even in recent times that it can feel like there's something about ready to break, and there's something about, uh, about to happen, but before it can, it feels like it, it pulls back. It, it feels like there's something great that could continue, and then over time, it, it feels like it doesn't carry as strong as it could and not a breakthrough. I know sometimes in our lives that there's a passion that begins for God, and somewhere along the way, that passion turns into a sense of routine. How many would be honest and say, I know what that is? Yeah, each and every one of us, there's seasons in life that we go through, but there's something as well that we have to recognize that not only, and I think that's a fair question, even in moves of God and in our lives, that we tend to have those moments that crest, and when they crest, instead of there being a continuing, sometimes there becomes this this turn, this backing up, and it's not as strong as it seemed that it could be. It's not happening even more. I know that that can be moments. I simply said to that person, as she's asking the question, I just saw this picture that rose up in me, and here's the issue. The issue is this, that we lost our flow. The reason we don't continue in the passion and the things that happen is because we lost our flow. Jody and I, when we lived in Dillsburg, we had a, an above-ground pool, and that, that pool was a job that you would have to cover in the winter. And the hope was this, God, help us to maintain this cover so it doesn't rip, the water doesn't, the, the stuff and debris doesn't get in the pool because we want to have a clear water to work with when summertime comes or springtime comes. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Some of you know exactly what I'm saying. Part of that process was to keep the, the water off of, the, off of the, the cover and to take care of that. And one of the ways that we would do that is we would siphon the water off of the cover and off, off of the pool to take the weight. And those of you that have siphoned, you know what this is like. You know the, the process. You, you take that hose. Now, I know they make pumps for this, but it's a lot cheaper to take the hose and a little suction power. It'll work. So you take that hose and, and you know the process and, and you, you get a little bit of that suction going. And as soon or right before it gets in your mouth, you hope that you can put it down, and, and there's that flow. How many know what I'm talking about? It didn't work the first time. Got to try it again. And I saw this picture. Now, the, the analogy doesn't, doesn't cross over completely, but this idea that sometimes we can be content to get something to us when God said it's not about getting it to you, it's about getting it through you, that we can allow oftentimes the work of God, and it becomes a crest because we've stopped it at a point that it's not meant to stop. It's not for you to have an experience or to get something. It's for you to allow a flow that will move. It might at times feel like a trickle, but how many know a trickle in the desert is something I'll hold on to. It might seem like a little bit. It might not seem like a strong current all the time. But when we allow the flow to move forward, it causes there to be that constant resurgence and that constant. How many know that where there's a flow, it makes the way so that when the rain falls again, it already has the place for that water to run? What we tend to do in church, though, is we tend to have floods, and then it evaporates, and we wait for another flood. But what God is calling us to do is to not be people of a flood, but people of the flow. Because the flood is where water gathers, and it just collects, and water comes together. But when the water does more than just flood and collect, it begins to move, it creates a flow. God did not call us to be a church of people gathering. He called us to be a church of people moving. We're not to be people who gather in the presence of God and in the presence, the power of God. We're to be people who flow and who move in the power and the presence of God. 
And when we understand and we catch that perspective, that when we allow that flow, it's the positioning that God is making ready that he can pour out even more. Whenever we're ready for something and it's, and it's there, Jody and I were in Texas a, a couple of weeks ago, I don't even know how long it was, and we drove over the river. And as we drove over the river, we're saying to each other, where's the river? And literally there's a bridge over nothing. But what we know and realize is that that wasn't rainy season. But after we left, they got flooded. And how many know that was water running through that river? You know what they did? There was a flow and an opening that was ready for the water to run. And some of it, the danger, had they not moved that river, had they not created the place for that river, it would have been a flood that if all you have is a flood, it can cause catastrophe. If all you have is a flood, it becomes self-absorbing. It it stays where it is. But when there's a flow, it's life-giving. How many know God has called us as a church to be a flow, to be people who are life-giving, that we're to move forward in a flow and a work of God in this day and in this hour. The Lord gave us a word a couple, almost two years ago now, when we honored on the 35th anniversary of our church. And the Lord gave me a word to preach at the prayer breakfast. Not many of you were there, because some of you weren't even here at that time. But those of you who were there that know that, that, that maybe remember the word that the Lord spoke to my heart and gave me just a, a word that said, this is where we are, and the Lord's bringing me back to that. Because he gave it almost two years ago. And the word was this, that according to Ezekiel, that everywhere the water went, every time they went out so so far, that the water would get deeper. And when it started, they went out, it was to his ankles. And the Lord spoke to me and said the first pastor came and established something. He got something started. It went to his ankle. But then they went out a little further. And the next pastor, it became something that became stabilized. It became stabilized in, in, in the ministry and, and what was called to do. And then they went out a little further. And the next pastor came. And the Bible says... The water went up to his waist. And, and, and in the scripture, in Ezekiel, the water went up to the waist. And that's a strengthening. You know what it's like. When the water gets to your knees, you're a little more sturdy. But when the water gets to your waist, that current, you're, you're standing in something. It can move you, but you've got enough that you're positioned and almost counterbalanced in the right way that you're holding your ground. But then when they went out a little further, what happened? The Bible says that the water overwhelmed them and they could not swim in it. The water carried them and moved them. And every place they went, they brought dead things to life that they began to move. The Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, we are a church in this season that we are a church of flowing. How many remember that word from a couple to almost two years ago? I know there were only a few of you there when we shared that at the breakfast, but that was the word that God spoke to my heart and we are still in that direction. Almost two years ago, God spoke that word and he's reminded us. How many know that sometimes when God gives you a word, you hold on and you celebrate and then you go through seasons. You say, oh God, I don't see it. I don't see it. But you hold on to the word. You say, God, I don't know how this is going to happen. It feels like a barren desert right now. This doesn't seem to be lining up the way I thought, but you keep holding on. There's a trickle, there's a flow, and it's ready because at any moment when he pours out his rain, there's something to flow and something ready to move. God, help us to be people who don't just gather. We've got to be people who move. Does that make sense to anybody? That when we understand the proper role of the gifts of the Spirit, that God can make us ready to receive them even more. There's uh, someone here in the church just this week turned 21, and so for her 21st birthday, they went out and got her a gun with a concealed permit. That's what you do when you're 21. I won't tell you who it is because you'll be afraid. No, that's not true because everybody here probably has it. I've met grandparents and grandmothers. I thought, you have a handgun? Don't mess with that grandma. She's got a handgun. It's, it's a common thing. But you realize 
The law says 21. Why? Because there's a moment that they recognize this is appropriate. There's an age and accountability. And you can't always, you can't always guesstimate or put a line to when people are ready for something. But how many know you don't give that child a gun when they're four years old? What, there's a point in time, and I believe the same, that when we position ourselves properly, that God is ready to give us gifts. If you're given a gift before you're ready for it, it might turn out to be dangerous to you. If you're given a gift before you're ready to receive that gift, if you don't know what to do with that gift, you might hurt yourself and others around you. God could give you the gift of healing, and you're not ready to flow in the gift of healing. And all of a sudden, there's a gift of healing. How many know that if you don't know how to handle that, you might all of a sudden, hey, I've got the gift of healing. Time for me to start my own ministry. Time for me to do my own thing. Time for me to, and, and I've, we watch it sometimes. There can be this, that when we're not ready to receive, but when we get ourselves in the proper place, when the flow is, is in order, that we say to God, God, we're ready to flow. And God says, yes, when you're ready to flow, I'm ready to pour out. I want my gifts because when you understand what this is for, I'm going to give you what you need so you can do what I put in your heart to do. Amen. That God will ready us. That God makes us ready. And sometimes it's this posture, this position that we need to put ourselves in to be getting ready to move. That the church becomes more than just a place that gathers. Here, Paul is addressing, and, and I realize you might say, why would we read a communion scripture to address getting ready for the flow of the Holy Spirit? Because I believe this. You ever know when you sit down to eat with somebody that the way someone eats or the way someone acts at the table or what they do at the table tells a bit about what's important to them and what's not important to them. When you sit down at the table with somebody, you see how they, and we have this thing at, at our house when we sit down for dinner, and, and it's a little bit of a pet peeve of mine where we have phones at the table. I don't like phones at the table because I don't know if you realize you're saying this or not, but what you're saying at the moment is my company is not as important as what's on that phone right now. And you've made a decision. You're don't, you don't mean to say that to me, but your, your action or lack of action is communicating to me that I don't mean that much to you. I don't have that much value to you. It's not that important. Jalen never puts her phone out. That's Actually, she's the one we say, honey, put it on the counter. The table's way over here. Don't touch it. Don't get up. But uh, you realize that how we can operate, the things that we do uh, in those settings kind of set what's important to us. That I believe that when God looks at our heart and says, if we know how to operate as a church, that when we begin to say what is important to us, God says, when you line up with what's important to me, I will give you what you need to carry out the things of importance. I hope you're hearing this this morning. And so when we look at the communion and how we, how we receive communion, Paul's addressing this, and he's got an issue with them. And, and, and here's what you, you recognize. The simple response that I give is why we use this, this communion with this situation is Paul is telling the church, you might get a meal and you might get fed, but it's not about you getting fed. It's about you sharing it together. It's not about you getting fed. It's not about you getting something. It's about you sharing together in this moment and in this, in this time, this, this occasion of what you have together. And here's what I would say kind of as the, the summary of this whole message this morning. It's not what God gets to you, but what God gets through you. It's not what God gets to you, but what God gets through you. Here are the people that are eating. And, and um, Paul, of course, is, and let me just give you the, the picture of what is happening. We don't know how often they ate, but they ate on a regular basis together. Whether it was on a daily basis, weekly, we don't know. But here's what we do know. We do know that in the house church setting, when they would gather in their time of, of having a meal together, 
there were two meals that would take place. The first was the Lord's Supper and then also a love feast, what was called a love feast. Some of you thought that was in, in New York in the 70s. But no, this is the, the Bible talks about this meal that would celebrate the love and how many know that the love comes from God. God is love. And so the meal that they would have is that they would come to, together and everybody would come to eat. And then you would have your first meal, not the appetizer, but the first meal was the Lord's Supper. After that, you would have the feast. The first one, the Lord's Supper, and they're gathered. Here's how this worked. Everybody would bring something to eat. But you didn't just bring something to eat, you brought something to share. That's where potluck started. It started in the church in the, in the New Testament. They would all come together. They'd bring a meal. And as they would bring a meal together, then they would take the, the wine and the bread from those meals because there were some people who didn't have anything to bring and others could bring a lot. Some brought more, some brought little, some brought nothing. But everybody would bring something. They would then take, the, the, uh, the, the leaders would then take the wine and the bread and that was for the Lord's Supper. That was set apart for the Lord's Supper that everybody shared. But then after they had the Lord's Supper... Then they would feast, and the feasting was what they were to do together. But the problem is, Paul says you're getting together, and some of you, you're not even waiting for other people to show up. You're just coming, and you're going right to the feast. Oh, this is good. I got food. It's like the picnic where you just show up with your own stuff, sit off by yourself, eat your food. You had your food, and you're done. You see, because the importance here was not getting fed. It wasn't about a task being done. It was about a task being done together. It was what was being accomplished together. It wasn't just go and get your stomach full because they had the wrong perception. The Lord's Supper wasn't so you could just get a good meal out of it. It's not just so you can get fed. It's not just so you can be filled up, but it's that you can have an encounter and an experience together. Have you ever noticed certain things that make a memory on your life are not tasked by themselves, but because of the memory and the task that you did with someone else? And it created a lasting memory, not because of what you did, but because of who you did it with. Am I right? Think of the highlights in your life. When I think of going, one of my earliest memories of traveling with my family, going to King's Dominion when I was a little kid. And I remember my sister and I being blown away by Snoopy in the real flesh and blood. Okay, it was a costume later on. But in that moment, it was Snoopy. And I remember my sister and I hugging on Snoopy and, and she's scared and, and I warmed her up to Snoopy and everything was all good or, or it wasn't Scooby-Doo. I'm sorry, it was Scooby-Doo that... Because somebody out there with legal rights would get mad that I just gave Snoopy to King's Dominion because it's not a Warner Brother thing. You know what I'm talking about. It was Scooby-Doo. And, and my sister was so scared. And, uh, and But I remember, and I had that memory that, that we warmed up to Scooby-Doo. And there we are. I remember one of those memories. And we talked about Scooby-Doo was there. You know, the highlight wasn't that I saw Scooby-Doo. But it was that I remember being with my sister. I remember the first time I, I took the kids to, to uh, uh, Disney World. It was my first time to Disney World. I'd never been there. But I remember the first time taking the kids to Disney World and Jordan in a stroller and, and Jalen probably about four or five years old, maybe four or something like that, Jaren six and going on seven. And, and we're going to Disney World. And I remember going to Disney World. Do you know what made that such one of my favorite trips that we've ever done as a family? Why? Because I remember the moment that they were in awe and what, what, what took place. It wasn't that I got to go to Disney World. It's that I was there with my family. It's not 
about the task done. It's what we do together. It doesn't matter you get something done. It's what we do together. Just being a part of it is the power of accomplishing something great. And they came and many of them said, it's about getting my stomach filled. It's about me getting something. No, it's not about the task. That's called routine. That's called religion. That's called going through the motion. It's about doing something together. It's not the task done. It's the task that we do together. It's the body of Christ coming together and participating, looking out for one another. And we experience something together because it's not about me being fed. It's about me being a part of the body of Christ that is being built up together. Does that make sense to anybody? Which is why one of the worst things to say is I'm not getting fed there. Because somehow, now listen, if it is a place that's not preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ and it's heresy and it's not preaching the whole gospel, it's not the truth, I understand that. But if we leave it as I'm not getting fed, listen, we turn into the Corinthians who say, it's about me getting what I need. It's about me getting my food. And when we come together as the body of Christ, I I, I want you to know this, that the flow will begin when you begin to feed yourself at home and not just wait for the pastor to give you a buffet on Sunday morning. Now, there are some of you, some of us here, maybe we've not been in the Word. Listen, that's right, we're growing. We're all at different stages. I was at a different stage 30 years ago. I was at a different stage 20 years ago. It was a different stage, but I'm growing. It doesn't make me better, worse. We're all in this together. But when we begin to feed ourselves, when we begin to take on, we begin to start a flow that God is able to, to pour out and able to do even more so that we can function and not just have a gathering place where people come to gather, but we can be a place where people are moving. That we're not just gathering, we're moving. Anybody agree with that this morning? Is that all right with anybody? How many want to be a part of a church that has people moving in the spirit, in the gifts of the spirit, that we're on the move, that we're not just a people gathering, we're not just in the hurting business. We're not in the hurting business. We're not just trying to gather people. We're trying to reach people to reach their purpose so that they can carry the work of Jesus Christ to what he's called them to do, that we might influence. Yes, we want to see more gather, but we want to see even more move to the, in the work that God has called us to do. That's the heartbeat. That's the hope. That is our desire. Let me give you a couple things here. This morning, if we're going to see that flow, that it's not enough to have an open heaven to receive, we need an open hand to pour out. We need an open hand to give. It's not enough that we just come in the flood and have a flood stage in the presence of God. We need a flow that we move in the spirit, that we flow in the spirit, that we're not just people gathering, we're people moving. I remember a couple years ago, and I shared this dream, but uh, it's back in my youth ministry days. The Lord gave me a dream, and um, as I was dreaming, it was a hot day, and there were a group of kids around a fire hydrant, and the fire hydrant was spraying, and these kids were excited about being around the fire hydrant cooling off, and all these kids are dancing under the water as it's falling on them. All of a sudden in my dream, I see this one kid leave the, uh, the group of people uh, dancing, and he goes into a, a house It had to be his own house. It was a dream, so I don't know all the details. But he comes out holding cups, and when he comes out, he's now dancing in the water holding cups, and he's catching the spray that's falling. And when the cup got full, he walked off 
off and went to a porch where there was someone sitting on the porch watching and he gave him a cup of cold water and then he got another cup and he went back. He didn't just dance under the open heavens but he carried the water and he had an open hand and the Lord is saying that if we're gonna see the gifts of the spirit flow that it's not enough that we're just happy to dance under an open heaven. We've gotta have hands that are ready and open hands ready to serve. Yes, thank God for the blessings. Thank God that he pours out his spirit. Thank God that we experience the baptism and the work of the Holy Spirit but he didn't give it to us just so we could be fed. He gave it to us so that we could experience something together that the body of Christ might be built up and Jesus be glorified. If you don't say amen to that, you might need to go find another church because that's where we're going. Now, listen, if you didn't say amen, you don't have to leave. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just, just saying that's what we're about, church. That's the heartbeat. That's what we're about. That's what this is for. That's what God has given us, this purpose that we would flow. I want to give you a couple checkpoint, checkpoints this morning. The worship team's going to come because I told you before when they start playing, I shut up quicker. So I got to them before you did. First Corinthians, of course, Paul's talking about the communion and as they're eating. I want to give you a couple checkpoints that we need to look at and evaluate where we are. And just before we prepare our hearts for communion, how many want the gifts of the Spirit to flow in your life? Let me remind you again, God does not baptize a church, he baptizes people. When I say that he doesn't baptize a church, he doesn't baptize a building. I believe the days of us coming to be a part of what God is doing is no longer just celebrating what God does in the building, but now that we begin to flow and begin to carry what God is doing into the world that's around us. You've heard us say this. I believe that's what this decent and in order is. Communion. Let me, let me just give you a couple things this morning. You can write these down if you want some checkpoints to make sure you've got the flow. Everybody paying attention? Look at your neighbor. Ask them if they're paying attention. Say, you, you ready for this? You ready for this? Because <coughs> if not, we just sat down at the dinner table, and your Facebook is more important than what I have to say right now. You just hurt my feelings. Just kidding. Listen, let me give you this this morning. Here, in order for this flow... I want the presence of God to flow. Here's number one. When they came to communion, I want you to know if we're going to see the gifts and the presence of God flow in our lives, we have to recognize, number one, it is not common. It's not common. The gifts of the Spirit and and communion in particular, it's not common. Paul is saying, you don't even care about the Lord's Supper. You're You're not even concerned about the Lord's Supper. You're just about getting your stomach fed. And when you look at something that's supposed to be sacred and holy and treat it like it's common? How many know you're not going to get a flow from that? When you walk up to the well, you're like, yeah, the well's always here. It's always here. We done, stand around. Okay, we're done. When you treat a church service like it's just another church service, when you treat a family devotion or you treat time in the presence of God, reading the word like it's just something you got to do, when's the last time you set aside a holy moment in your day? That you said to God, God, this next, however many, five, ten minutes, whatever, this, these, this is a holy moment. And I'm giving this to you. I'm giving you this holy moment. Because what we tend to do is just make it common and ordinary. Instead of giving him a holy moment. I realize you might say back, well, everything's holy. Yeah, everything's holy. But then even within those days, how many know every day is holy, but yet God still gave us a Sabbath? said, make that day holy. What did he mean? Dedicate that day even more so above the other days. 
There's moments that God's going to get more, and I'm giving this to God. He is, he is at the center, and I'm giving him this moment. Because what happens is when you cr- treat it like it's common, you miss what it is God wants to do in your spirit. Have you, and I believe this, church. We have walked past divine moments and holy moments and acted like they were just common. We've walked in people, past people. We've gone to our workplaces like it's just another common day. But in the midst of that, there was a holy moment. God, I, I don't want to miss the holy moment. Don't create it like it's common. Some of you might know the name Reggie Jackson. Reggie Jackson, Mr. October, baseball player, and uh, a couple World Series, played with a couple teams. I grew up outside of Gettysburg. We went to Baltimore for, Pi- for Pirates games, for Baltimore Oriole games. Don't hate me. I was always black and gold. The The Ravens were not in town then, so I never became a Ravens fan. I've always been black and gold. Baltimore just happened to be my American League team. So don't send hate mail. Don't send me messages. I'm still a Pittsburgher. It's black and gold. I'm okay. But we would go and root for the Baltimore Orioles. I still do, my my American League team. I had to, about the age of eight, we went to the game, and and, uh, I had to go to the bathroom or something. I know we didn't go get a hot dog because we never went and bought food at the, at the games. I mean, we just, you, just, you packed food everywhere you went when we were lucky to get to the game. And so we packed, the, packed our food there. So I didn't go to get food. I know that. So I must have gone to the bathroom. All I know is we left. And when I came back, the usher says to me, hey, is that your dad? And I said, yeah. And my mom and I are walking up. And he says, well, your dad just caught a foul ball. And not just any foul ball, it was off of Reggie Jackson. And i got to be honest with you, I'm eight years old, I love baseball, but that really didn't mean too much to me. I'm like, Dad got a major league baseball, this is cool. Dad shows me the ball, I'm excited, I'm holding it. In Jesus' name, I rebuke you, devil, whatever that is. Where was I now? No, I took that baseball and I held it. Dad put it in the drawer of his desk, and it became one of those things, just a memory keepsake couple months later, friend comes over. We played baseball. That's what we did. I mean, we played baseball when it was cold outside. We did baseball. That was my sport. I love baseball. My friend came over. We're throwing the ball. He lost the last baseball that I could find. And I didn't have time because his mom was going to come pick him up. And we didn't have long. So we only had a little bit longer to play. We need another baseball. So I went into dad's drawer and I pulled out the Reggie Jackson baseball. I began to throw this ball. I said to my friend, I said, don't drop it. You know, we're like eight or nine years old. You're like, we're really good baseball players. Like, you know, don't drop it. Don't get it dirty. Man, we started throwing, throwing back and forth. And I thought, it can't get that bad. And I realized, man, this thing looked worse than it did when we started throwing it. So I went back in. I put it in the drawer, put it away. A couple weeks later after that, dad says, Jason, did you use this baseball in my drawer? He taught me not to lie, so I said yes. And he said, well, that's unfortunate. He said, I was hoping to hold on to that, maybe get it signed somewhere or somebody or something, but I was going to make that something to pass on to you or to give to you. And I took something that was meant to be valuable, and I created it like it was just common. And there are many times you take the things of God whether they're relationships, whether they're times in his word, it's time of worship, you just treat it like it's just a common, just ordinary. And Jesus might say to you, man, I have something prepared for you today. I want to give it to you. But you're just treating it like it's common. I I don't want to put it in your hands because you'll take something that I meant to be sacred. But I want you to not make it common. I want you to know that when we recognize that it's not common, that we open our hearts up to receive even more from God. Anybody get that this morning?
Treat it like it's common. Don't ever let the things of God become old. Don't lose your passion. I said to my wife over and over again, I don't want to just, and I'll tell you where it started, because of the marriage counseling that I do. I thank God. I, I, I love sitting down with couples and having marriage counseling. And I love when we come to places and say, hey, you know what? There's going to be victory here. But I've said I never want to just get good at living together. I want to make sure we know how to die for each other. Because anybody can just live with it. You know what I'm saying? How many things are we just taking common? It's, it's common. It's for granted. And what was meant to be special, what was meant to be something as, a, as a, a gift from God, times of worship, whatever it is, where's the value? You've put other things, and now that's not as important to you. And God says, but I want to pour out my spirit. I want there to be a flow. I want there to be something. But you treat it like it's just ordinary. Number two, it, it's not about you. It's not about me. Jesus said every time you do this, do this in remembrance of, look at your neighbor and tell them that me isn't you. Because <clears throat> here's what we tend to do when we come to communion and receiving from God. This will always hinder the flow of God in your life. Whenever you look and the me becomes you, because what we tend to do is we tend to evaluate and say, God, Thank you for dying on the cross. I don't deserve it. I'm a sinner. And we tend to focus on all the bad things we've done. Do you know what the enemy wants you to do? And here's, what, here's how you can easily stop the flow. Listen to this. And even receiving the gifts of the Spirit. You'll stop the flow when you start looking at the wrong me and start saying things like, I don't deserve it. I've done enough. I've done too much wrong. I don't qualify. I don't fit that. That's not for me. And when you begin to look at the wrong me, you put yourself in a place and the flow begins to hinder. But here's what opens the flow. When it's not you saying, God, I'm a sinner, but when you recognize even more, yeah, that's true, we're sinners, but when you recognize even more, God, you are my Savior. And it becomes a recognition of what Jesus Christ has done. I want you to know, when you begin to recognize Jesus and what Jesus has done, there begins this flow, this outburst, this overflow, and God says, I'm making room for more. Don't look at the me. Sometimes you're not stepping up to what God's called you to do, and here's why. Because you don't feel like you have what it takes. Some of you right now are here and God wants to give you the gift of healing. And you think, man, I don't, I'm not a preacher. I haven't studied. I don't have, I can't have the gift of healing. Oh, yeah? I don't know what gift God will give you. Let him decide. But don't get your eyes on the wrong me and feel like, well, I can't do that. I'm not qualified. That's not for me. Let me give you the last one and receive communion this morning. It's, it's not common. It's not about me. Here's the last one this morning. It's not old news. Here's what I want you to catch with this. The, the Bible says that every time you eat the bread and drink the cup, what do you do? You announce the Lord's death until he comes. Not the Lord's death, period. You announce the Lord's death until he comes. Here's what he's saying. That every time you eat, the bread, you're making an announcement. Now, there might be some translations that say you show the Lord's death, and that's not an accurate translation. 
Because it literally means to announce or to proclaim, to declare. That every time you eat the bread and drink the cup, the cup, you're declaring the Lord's death. Here's the significance. The significance is this. The Lord's death is where everything was paid in full. Everything I need in life has already been provided. I'm declaring that there's healing in Jesus' name. I'm declaring there's provision. There's deliverance. I'm declaring the Lord's death until he comes. How many know that that time frame until he comes, when I take of communion, I have the right heart in it, what I'm saying to a world when we do this together is we're saying all that we need is in Christ and he's coming again and he's not done working today. We're declaring that his death until he comes and what we're saying to a world, and here's why God wants the gifts to flow, so that we can say to a world, God healed in the Old Testament, he healed in the New Testament, and he still heals in this Testament. He still heals in this day. He's a God of miracles in the past. He's still a God of miracles today. That when the flow happens, it begins this life that we live, that we become those who declare who Jesus Christ is in our world. The world needs to hear an announcement. It's not just us coming to get fed. It's about us coming together to allow the body of Christ to be built up, that we might proclaim Jesus Christ until he comes. Notice on the day of Pentecost, they all were filled with the Holy Spirit and they became what? Witnesses. What's, an, what's a witness do? He makes an announcement. A witness declares something. A witness declares, and here's what we're declaring today. We're declaring that God's not done. We're declaring that God's not finished working in the life of the church, that the gifts are still for today, that God is still working in power. He's working in might. Listen, you're not sharing an old news. We're not just coming back to the table again and say, well, we always come to the table, and that's what we're doing. No, we're announcing it's for today. You need healing, it's for today. You need deliverance, it's for today. We're announcing that what we have need of, it is for today. And when we come together in recognizing that we show the Lord's death, it's not about us getting fed. So this morning we're going to receive communion. And we're, de- we're going to declare that God reigns in our lives. And we're asking God, God, would you cause a flow? Help us not to just be people who gather. Help us people to be people who move. Help us not just dance under an open heaven. Help us dance under an open heaven with open hands. That we take to a world every gift of the Spirit that God has promised is not so you can get something, but that you can have something to give. What's healing for? So that you can heal. Not you, but God. That God might be glorified. It's what we share with one another. And communion is representing that, that we come together and everybody brings something and we look out for one another and we serve one another. And when we do that, it creates a flow so that the Spirit of God and the gifts of God might flow not to us, but through us. Does that make sense to anybody? Why not in your workplace Allow God to give you a word of knowledge and be able to speak to someone and someone says, how did you know? The Holy Spirit spoke to me as I was praying for you. How many know that person can't do anything but say, you're God. You're God. And over time, they won't just say, you're God. They'll say, my God. My God. 
Amen.